Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I never anticipated that my quiet job as a park ranger would thrust me into the heart of an enigma that chilled me to the bone. My responsibilities mainly revolved around maintaining the trails and keeping a watchful eye on the wilderness through the trail cameras scattered across the park. Little did I know, those cameras would become the gateway to a mystery that would consume my thoughts and haunt my dreams. It all started on a routine day. I was in the monitoring room, sipping on lukewarm coffee and watching the live feed from the trail cameras. 
The usual scenes of wildlife and hikers played out on the screens until one particular camera caught my attention. The footage showed an eerie figure standing at the edge of the trail, its form barely distinguishable in the shadows. I dismissed it at first, thinking it might be a trick of the light or a hiker dressed oddly. However, as I continued my surveillance, more unsettling images began to appear. Figures that seemed to emerge from the trees, their faces obscured, engaged in peculiar rituals and movements that sent shivers down my spine. It wasn't long before I realized that something was deeply amiss within the boundaries of the park. Determined to unravel the mystery, I delved into the archives of the trail camera footage. The further back I went, the stranger the occurrences became. Whispers of forgotten stories echoed through the visual spectral forms, inexplicable lights, and peculiar symbols etched into the bark of ancient trees. Late one night, fueled by curiosity and a growing sense of unease, I decided to venture into the park myself. Armed with a flashlight and a map, I followed the trails indicated by the camera's footage. The air was thick with an otherworldly tension as I navigated through the darkness, guided by the dim glow of my flashlight. As I neared a clearing that the cameras had captured repeatedly, an old, dilapidated structure emerged from the shadows. The remains of what seemed to be an abandoned cabin stood before me, barely visible under the veil of night. As I cautiously approached, the creaking of the floorboards beneath my boots resonated through the eerie silence. Inside, I discovered remnants of a forgotten-era tattered furniture, decaying wallpaper, and the lingering scent of decay. A dusty journal lay on a wooden table, its pages filled with cryptic entries detailing a local legend about a group of settlers who had vanished mysteriously centuries ago. The more I read, the more the pieces of the puzzle fell into place. The figures in the trail camera footage, the strange rituals they all seemed to tie back to this long-forgotten story. It spoke of a curse that befell the settlers, an ancient ritual gone awry, and a presence that lingered in the woods, seeking redemption or revenge. Armed with this newfound knowledge, I realized that the park held a dark secret, hidden in plain sight. The figures in the footage were not anomalies but echoes of the past, trapped in a perpetual loop. As a park ranger, it became my responsibility to uncover the truth and bring closure to the restless spirits that wandered the trails. In the days that followed, I worked tirelessly to piece together the forgotten narrative, consulting local historians and delving into historical records. With the information I gathered, I reached out to paranormal experts who specialized in cleansing rituals and spirit communication. Together, we embarked on a journey to free the park from the haunting specters of its past. The night of the ritual was tense, as we stood in the clearing where the mysterious figures had once congregated. The air seemed to crackle with energy as incantations echoed through the woods. Gradually, the figures from the trail camera footage materialized before us, their ghostly forms flickering in and out of existence. As the ritual unfolded, a profound stillness settled over the clearing, and the figures began to dissipate into the night. The air felt lighter, and a sense of peace replaced the previous unease. The forgotten story that had lingered for centuries was finally put to rest, and the park exhaled a collective sigh of relief. In the aftermath, the trail cameras captured nothing but the ordinary beauty of nature, the rustle of leaves, the graceful movement of deer, and the gentle flow of the river. The unsettling figures that had haunted the screens were gone, 
leaving behind a park that felt rejuvenated, as if it had shed the weight of centuries of unresolved history. As a park ranger, I continued my duties with a newfound appreciation for the delicate balance between the present and the past. The forgotten story had become a chapter in the park's history, a reminder that sometimes the most unsettling mysteries are the echoes of stories long left untold. I had always loved the peace and tranquility of living on my five-acre property, surrounded by cow fields on all sides. My dogs were my only companions, and we had developed our own little routines, including singing silly songs together. One of the songs I often sang was the nursery rhyme, Daisy, Daisy. It had become something of a tradition for me to sing this song to my pups as they wandered around our home, mostly indoors since they were indoor dogs. On a crisp fall evening, I found myself alone in the house with the windows wide open, enjoying the cool breeze that swept through. As I hummed the familiar tune of Daisy, Daisy to myself, I suddenly heard something that made my blood run cold. A faint, low whistle echoed through the air, mimicking the tune of Daisy, Daisy with eerie precision. The whistling was slow and deliberate, as if someone or something was taunting me. At the end of the verse, the whistling ceased, leaving an unsettling silence in its wake. Fear gripped my heart, and I couldn't bring myself to look outside to investigate the source of the haunting sound. I closed the windows, my heart pounding in my chest, and tried to shake off the unsettling feeling that had settled over me. To this day, I still don't know what caused that chilling whistle. The memory of that eerie night remains with me, a constant reminder that sometimes, the unknown can be far more terrifying than anything we can imagine. I've woken up a few times in the middle of the night for no reason with my heart racing. There's no feeling of dread though. Prior to this, I was being woken up by something actually making noises to wake me up. The first time was when I was sleeping and I started hearing something tapping on my metal bed frame. I woke up but hadn't opened my eyes or moved yet, and I heard what sounded like a coin or something metal tapping my bed frame on what I think was the leg closest to my head to the left of the bed. It went something like tap tap, tap tap tap, pause, tap tap, tap tap. It was definitely not rhythmic and like it was intentional. Something was trying to wake me up. I sat up in bed and it stopped. Another night I heard something tapping on my glass vanity table like it picked something up from my table and started tapping. As soon as I moved, it stopped. This was actually my childhood home that I moved back into with my family and my parents moved to the house next door. It was never haunted as a child. I had just moved into this house from a house next door that my parents owned, and that house was haunted. Did it follow me to the house next door? I don't know. But one night after the fifth time of waking up for no reason and my heart racing, I did something this might sound odd, but this is what I experienced. I don't know why I did this, but I imagined I had a bright, white light of protection in my center that grew around me. I imagined it getting bigger and bigger and pushing anything entity away. I think I made this protection field expand and encompass my house. When I did this, I felt such peace. The feeling I felt was indescribable. I felt light, warm, peaceful, not scared, and drifted off to sleep in a couple minutes, whereas before when I would wake up like this, 
It would take me hours to calm down and go back to sleep. If somebody would have told me this story of the protective white light, I would most likely be skeptical because I've never heard of it. I googled protective white light, and it's actually a thing. I don't know what made me do that, but it helped. By the way, this is just a small portion of what's happened to me. When I lived in the other house, a whole lot of stuff happened. I have a chilling story to tell you. It all starts back in the 1986 or 1987 Pennsylvania bow season. I've been after a big buck all season, maybe a 185-190 class buck. Walking the creek bottom for some time in the hemlocks, and it was getting dark in them, so I made it to a clearing about half a mile. I saw a few deer and a couple small bucks, not what I was looking for. I was walking back to my truck, next to a farm, and I had a feeling that something wasn't right, so I turned around and I thought, there's a bear there about eight yards from me. I was standing along a cornfield, and it was in the cut oats field I had the wind in my face. That's when I knew something was in the field. The animal stood up and started to walk toward me. It was about 35 or 40 yards from me now. I said out loud, do not make me use this bow. It stopped, turned around, and walked away from me. It looked like a large logger, and it walked in the cut oats field, then in the tall field of corn. I did not let the grass grow under my feet. The next day I went back to the spot where he was in the cutouts. I could not walk in the tracks and where it enters the core was nine feet tall, so that made him eight feet tall and smaller than the corn. P.S. When I got home, my wife said I was white as a cloud and my eyes were as big as a plate. I am from Waterville, Maine. Back in the late summer, or early fall of 1971, I was newly married and living in Killeen. Texas with my husband who was in the U.S. Army. We had a small duplex apartment in Killeen. One night he had duty and I was home alone in bed around 3 a.m. in the morning. I woke up suddenly and saw a black figure standing at the bottom of my bed. It was eight or nine feet tall and had huge big black wings and red eyes. I closed my eyes and opened them again and it had moved closer to me on the right side of my bed. I couldn't scream. It was as if I was frozen in fear. I covered my head in the blankets. I was so afraid. About five minutes later I looked and it was gone. It gave me a horrible feeling and I prayed never to see it again. Shortly after this event, I came back to Maine as I was way too frightened to ever stay alone at night when he was on duty. I told my mom I had seen a huge black angel that night and she was glad I came home as that didn't sound good. I had never heard of the Mothman, but a few years later I came across an article and a drawing of one. Even before I read the article I said, wow, that is exactly what I saw in Texas. It didn't have a noticeable neck and its face was hooded, its wings tucked in on its side, but you could tell they were very large. It was totally black except the eyes were round, large, and red. I still think of this thing with fear. Personally, do you have any idea what it is? I'm 57 now and I am still searching for an answer. P.S. The apartment I lived in had a well in the entranceway that always gave me the creeps. A cistern I believe it is called. Just a flat rock covered it and it still had water in it. I couldn't see the water but I heard the plop when I dropped a rock in it. 
This probably has nothing to do with any of this, but felt I should tell you anyways. In the summer of 1999, my cousin and I decided to embark on an exciting adventure near Timothy Lake, Oregon. Both of us had always been fascinated by nature, and we were eager to explore the backside of the lake and look for any signs of wildlife. Armed with nothing but a .22 rifle for protection, we ventured off the main trail and began our exploration. Our main focus was to find bear signs which had been reported in the area. As we delved deeper into the forest, we stumbled upon a log that appeared to have been torn apart. This was exactly the kind of evidence we were hoping to find. As we examined the area further, however, we discovered something even more intriguing, a series of human-like tracks stretching for about 50 feet. What caught our attention was the enormous stride between each step nearly eight feet apart. We couldn't believe what we were seeing and started to wonder if these tracks could be the work of a Sasquatch, a creature we had heard stories about but never truly believed existed. Unsure of what to make of our discovery, we decided to head back to camp and share our findings with our uncle. As an experienced outdoorsman, we believed he might be able to shed some light on the mysterious tracks. To our surprise, he was just as intrigued as we were and agreed to come and take a look for himself. Upon examining the tracks, our uncle couldn't hide his astonishment. He too began to entertain the idea that a Sasquatch might be responsible for the footprints. The thought that we could have stumbled upon evidence of such a legendary creature left us all feeling a mix of excitement and fear. Over the years, our encounter near Timothy Lake has remained a topic of conversation within our family. The mysterious tracks continue to pique our curiosity, and we can't help but wonder if we had indeed crossed paths with a Sasquatch that day. While we may never know for sure, the experience taught us that the natural world still holds many secrets, waiting to be discovered by those daring enough to explore its depths. To give you an idea of why I was out in the middle of the woods at midnight, I run cross-country collegiately. This means that I'm supposed to run every single day 10 miles a day, and I can be particularly lazy about this. When you've been doing it for seven years, it gets old quick. So more often than not, my roommate and myself will put off our run until late because we struggle to find the strength during the rest of the day. Well, it turns out that we picked the wrong night to be lazy. As 11 p.m. starts to roll around, I told my roommate Matt that we need to get our miles out of the way. He agreed and we both lace up, grabbed our flashlights and left our dorm. We live on a decent-sized campus with a lot of woods on the back of it and a full-size golf course, so we decided to run on the trails out there. At night, it is pitch black and can be hard to see the path even with flashlights, but it breaks the monotony of running the same routes, and we happen to like the adrenaline of being creeped out. So we began our run and started heading towards the woods. Instead of taking the normal trail that leads right through the middle of the golf course, we elected to take a different entrance, and eventually we realized we were lost. It was still possible to see the clock tower on campus from where we were at, so we knew we just had to head in that direction to get home. I wasn't too sure of how to get there from the course path, so we just stopped our run and walked directly through the woods and trees until we ended up on another green of the course that I have never been to before. 
While we were trying to get our bearings, I noticed a flickering light in the distance. I asked Matt if he saw it also, and he just nodded as we both stared. Slowly but surely, this light got closer and closer. It wasn't long until we realized it was another flashlight from someone on the trail. As I watched the light bob up and down, I began to comprehend what this meant. We weren't alone out here. That didn't make any sense, though. It's almost midnight. Why would someone be five miles into the middle of the golf course at this time? Why are they alone? What could they possibly be doing? We were sure it wasn't maintenance because the maintenance building shuts down at 5 p.m., and they wear bright green to give notice to golfers' safety reasons. Soon enough, the silhouette of a tall man came into view and the distance between us and him was only brought down to 50 feet or so. He stopped dead in his tracks and we just continued to stare. This really only lasted a minute, but it felt like forever. The man did not seem phased by us and started walking towards us, but then made a quick turn to the right which was where the green ended and the woods began uphill at that. Right before he entered the woods, he turned back to face us. As he did this, he shined his flashlight up at our faces, the kind of way you do to blind someone, and all we heard was the massive footsteps of this guy sprinting and the heaving of his breath. With that very moment, we took off. Let me tell you, I have never ran that fast in my entire life, even being a collegiate runner. We ran and ran and never looked back until we made it to the street that our campus begins on, I don't know what that man wanted or why he was in the woods so late, but he clearly intended harm to us. This isn't our first weird occurrence in the woods at school, so I may post more soon. One day my best friend and I were taking a shortcut to her house. It goes past a few houses and through a small area of woods, crossing a two feet wide creek. This particular day, I was wearing one of those jackets that had earbuds as the strings a must-have item as a fifth grader in 201,011. As we were passing one of the houses, a couple big dogs come running from it, jumping on us and obviously just wanting to play petted. The owner of the house comes out, and I noticed right away that he was acting really fidgety and nervous, saying stuff about the dogs like, Oh, it's okay, they're nice, don't worry. We made small talk with him about the dogs for a few minutes and turned around to leave. About or minute or so later we arrived at the small creek when I noticed that one of the rubber earbuds that was on my jacket was gone, and I insisted on going back to look for it. The guy came back out again and offered to help us. He asked what the material was made of, and I said it was made of rubber. We made small talk again, I think about the jacket and how cool it was. Anyway, he said he was going to be right back with his metal detector. He walked away towards his shed and I said to my friend, Why does he need a metal detector? The earbud is made of rubber. Next thing you know, he's coming back with, I shit you not, a rifle, and he's literally running towards us. When I'm telling you we ran, we ran. When we got to safety, past the creek and near her house, I was telling her we needed to call 911. She insisted that we not do that because her parents would be mad at her. I explained to her with urgency why it's important we called the cops, but she refused and I couldn't force her. I didn't call because I didn't want to do it alone, plus it would have been my first time calling them. I can't remember when if I told my parents that night what happened, but when I told them, 
They gaslit me and said I was crazy overreacting, that I didn't really see that. I still think about this damn near every day and it haunts me. The second time was again in fifth grade, taking place after the first story, but I'm not sure how long after. The friend from the previous story lived near a cemetery, about a five minute walk from her house. It was a big cemetery and we liked to walk around it a lot. Plus, behind the cemetery was a shortcut through the woods to a big park, which was coincidentally right next to our school. This day, we were also with another good friend of ours. We were just walking around the cemetery this day when all of a sudden, a blue truck pulls up next to us in the row, next to where we were walking about 10 feet away or so, not far. I could see two guys were in it literally just staring at us, and I again got that weird feeling I got with the first guy. This is hard to explain, but right before the shortcut in the woods is a fence with a cutout that leads to a field of grass and a hill next to it that leads into the neighborhood of where my other friend lived. The hill was really a bunch of dead grass, weeds, sticks, cattles, etc. Anyway, I told my friends I had a bad feeling about these guys, that they were staring at us and quite literally slowly following us with the truck. We booked it to that grass field and through that hill. I had all sorts of cuts and gashes from all the shit that we were running through. When we got to the top of the hill, we turned around and the truck was parked at the top of the hill on the other side, with both men outside of it holding guns rifles. I truly believe they were coming after us, and they were visibly mad that we got away from them. I knew they were after us because they have had to have driven through the cutout in the fence, amongst the gut feelings and just the entire situation. We ran to my friend's house, noticed her parents who truly didn't seem too worried, and drove my other friend and me home. I don't even remember if I told my parents about this time since they gaslit me when I told them about the last time. I just can't shake the fact that this shit really... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Happened when I was in fifth grade, 1,011 years old. I also can't believe how lightly my parents took the situation. I'm honestly traumatized about what happened and I think about it a lot. I just needed to tell some people what happened, but I have trouble getting my thoughts into words. It was the winter of 2020. I was driving north on Highway 21 at approximately 10.10 p.m just outside of Hillsboro, Missouri, just past Jefferson College. I was just passing the northbound off-ramp from Hayden Road onto northbound Highway 21 at mile marker 169.6. I'm not sure of the day of the week. I work the night shift every weekday and also work the same shift every other weekend, so all of the nights just seemed to run together. I just remember it was very cold and the road was deserted. I was the only car in the north or southbound lanes for as far as I could see. This is the same route I have taken to work every night for the past eight plus years, so I know the road very well. 
The dash of my car showed the ambient temperature as only 20 degrees Fahrenheit, but standing outside it felt even colder. It was clear, with no wind, rain, or snow. It was a clear, bitterly cold night. Just before mile marker 169.6, I noticed a rather tall, thin guy standing on the right-hand shoulder of the road under the streetlight. He stood facing me as I headed north. I slowed as I came upon him out of caution, but was not dumb enough to come to a complete stop. He was standing completely still, not walking or moving at all. I have seen other people walking along the side of this highway at night from time to time before so I did not think too much about seeing someone this night, other than the fact that this night was so bitterly cold. As I approached he stood completely motionless. He was very poorly dressed for the cold. He was wearing only a dark color faded hoodie and dark colored faded pants of some sort. I cannot remember if they were jeans or sweatpants. They had no holes or rips in them, but I remember that his whole appearance looked rather shabby. He had his head covered with the hoodie and kept his head pointed down enough so that I could not see his face. I could not see any sign of breath being exhaled into the bitterly cold night air from under his hoodie. This was really creepy. He stood there, completely motionless with his hands hanging to his sides. I remember thinking to myself that if I were out in this kind of cold that was poorly dressed, I would certainly keep myself moving to try to stay warm. But this guy was standing completely motionless, not walking, not swinging his arms or moving his hands or fingers or legs at all. He stood completely still, like a statue. Another very odd thing was that he wore no gloves so his fingers had to be freezing. He did not have either of his hands in his hoodie pocket or his pant pockets for warmth. The hoodie seemed to fit his frame proportionally well, except the sleeves were too short. His arms were way too long for the sleeves. I could see maybe three 3.5 inches of the bare forearm from the bottom of his hoodie cuff to the top of his hand, which looked odd. Everything else seemed to fit okay, but his arms were way too long for the sleeves. This guy was tall. Compared to the mile marker sign which was behind him, I would say that he had to stand six foot nine inches tall or more. As I slowly drove past him and watched him, it became one of those moments when time seemed to slow down. It was as if it all happened in slow motion. I can remember a lot of detail and how he just continued to stand there in the cold completely motionless as I drove past him never turning his head or moving any part of his body in any way. After I passed him, I could still see him in my rear-view mirror standing there on the shoulder of the highway, in the same spot, illuminated by the street light above. He still remained there completely motionless, like a statue, not moving at all, his hands still hanging at his sides, his body completely motionless, not even a finger moved. I kept glancing into my rear-view mirror to take another look at him until I rounded the corner and finally lost sight of him. I never saw him move the entire time. I got this rather ominous dark foreboding feeling as I passed him. If what I saw were some kind of ghost or demon or specter or whatever you want to call it, it certainly was not ghostly in appearance at all and looked as solid and as real as you or me. I still do not know what it is that I saw that night but I hope I never see it again. It really freaked me out. I was about 16 years old at home alone for the night. I fell asleep just fine, 
but I woke up later at around 3. I couldn't fall back asleep, and then I started hearing this weird high-pitched ring in my ears. It kept getting louder, and then out of nowhere my door starts creaking open. It's the loudest door on earth, and I hear really slow dragging footsteps walking into my room. I turned to see if anyone was there, and the doorway is completely empty, and I heard the footsteps start moving towards my bed with the ringing in my ears getting louder. I flipped out and rolled over facing away from the footsteps, feeling pretty helpless. I thought it went away when I heard the stepping stop until I felt something sit on my bed. I honestly have never prayed harder in my life. Eventually it just kind of stopped all at once, and I just laid there wide awake for the rest of the night. I told my mom about it a day later, and she said that she used to hear the same dragging footsteps too. I changed rooms away from the basement after that. When I was around eight years old, my family, and I lived in this old house that always gave me the creeps, especially this one room that was kept as our study. Every time I'd walk in or pass this room, I just felt yucky and had the most intense feeling that I was being watched by someone that hated me being in there. Anyways, fast forward a few months and my father decided that he was going to make the study room mine as I was sharing a room with my younger brother. I begged him to give it to my younger brother instead, I was the eldest so I should get to pick. It ended up being my room. First night in this room ended up being my last. This part I remember like it was literally yesterday. My dad came in and said goodnight and proceeded to turn off my bedroom light. As soon as he left the room I felt that intense foreboding feeling I had had every other time I had been in this room. Except that this time I was different. It was like I could feel a set of eyes on me. I pulled my blankets up over me as I was that scared. After about 30 seconds the blankets started being pulled down and left me staring into my room with no apparent reason or cause. I looked around quickly and then pulled the blankets back over my head and again. Blankets started to be pulled off me. By this stage I was scared out of my wits. I remember telling myself that it was probably just my cat playing around. But I looked under my bed and around the room and my cat was not in my room. I then told myself that I'm going to pull the blankets back up over my head. But if something starts to pull off my blankets, then I'm out of here, no matter what my father says. I pulled the blankets back over my head slowly whilst looking around the room for anything that could be doing this to me. After another 30 seconds, my blankets began to be pulled off me and this time I booked it out of my room so fast it was unreal. By this stage I was in tears of fear and my dad couldn't console or convince me to go back into that room. This all is 100% true and I remember it like it happened a week ago when it was in fact well over 20 years ago. Also my brother and I had reoccurring night terrors in this house. Someone broke into the house and they broke in by smashing the window to the study room. The room that was foreboding and haunted they however cut themselves so severely on the window of the study room that they left empty-handed. There was loads of blood all over the window and side of the house where they had tried to crawl in through the smashed window and into the study room. That room was just wrong. My family lived in Vermont for several years, in a small town called Northfield, south of Montpelier. There's a local legend in Northfield of a thing known as the Pigman. The story has multiple versions, as most do, 
but some parts are always the same. Back in 1951, the night before Halloween, this 17-year-old kid named Sam Harris went out on his own with a basket of eggs to cause some mischief. Nobody knows exactly what happened to him, just that he never came home and was never found. Years later, some high school kids were out drinking behind the school one night during a dance when this thing came walking out of the woods on two human legs. It was naked, covered in white hair, and was wearing a hollowed-out pig's head like some grotesque mask. Naturally, the kids tore out of there and went and told people. Word spread and some farmer admitted he'd seen a figure matching that description digging through his garbage one night. Some pigs had also gone missing recently. More sightings were made of the pigmen, as it became known, but many times the claims were just kids wanting to get attention. Now, whether this thing is Sam Harris or this thing ate Sam Harris, nobody in town knows for sure. But what they do know is that it isn't afraid of people, and it really likes to eat meat. There's a place just outside of Northfield known as the Devil's Washbowl, with a river and waterfalls and several caves. After more sightings of the pigmen were made out by the washbowl, some people went investigating and found that one cave in particular was littered with animal bones, some of which were pigs. It got around that they'd found the lair of the pigmen, and it became popular for teens to go out to the devil's washbowl at night and try to catch sight of him. My sister and a couple of her friends went out to the devil's washbowl their senior year. They took sleeping bags and flashlights and all the gear you take to go camping. I wasn't there to give a first-hand account of what transpired. I was only eight at the time. I can only tell you what was told to me. There were six or eight of them, depending on who you ask, all couples. They picked several caves, one for each pair. My sister and her boyfriend were in their cave. She was rolling out their sleeping bags and he was trying to start a fire when they heard some shouts and then screaming from one of the other caves. When they got there, the girl was curled up in a ball in the farthest corner of the cave and her boyfriend was nowhere to be found. She told them that the pigmen had come trudging into their cave, completely undaunted by their presence. The guy had started shouting at it, both to drive it away and to get the other's attention. The pigmen casually picked up a large rock and struck the guy in the side of the head with it, knocking him unconscious. It picked him up, slung him over its shoulder, and shambled out of the cave just moments before the rest arrived. Nobody had seen it exit the cave, nor seen signs of it at all. They did find the rock lying on the cave floor with blood on it, and bare footprints in some soft creek mud outside. The girls all drove into town and went straight to the police. The remaining boys, whether it was two or three of them, grabbed flashlights and makeshift weapons and scoured the woods around the area. The footprints disappeared at the edge of the road, and they lost the trail there. Search parties were set up. Police and canine units in a big coordinated effort, including several other adjoining townships police forces. A couple days later, some articles of the guy's clothes were found by a search dog. They had been left torn and scattered in an abandoned farmhouse a town over. The missing teen's photo was put up in the area, and one guy came forward. He said the other night he'd awakened to the sound of someone lurking outside his house. He checked out his kitchen window and someone was rummaging through the trash can by his garage. The person was only wearing a faded and ripped pair of jeans. When the man hit the porch light, 
the intruder looked up and looked just like the kid in the photo. The only difference was that his body was covered with white hair and his eyes looked kind of hollow. The call came in on a sweltering Texas afternoon, the kind that makes the air feel heavy and the horizon shimmer with heat. I was sitting at my desk at the local police station, my boots propped up as I sipped on a lukewarm cup of coffee. The voice on the other end was tense, hurried, and it sent a shiver down my spine. It was a call I had never expected, a call that would thrust me into the heart of an enigma that defied all explanation. Some of our park rangers are dead. Something, something unknown took him out, the voice on the other end said, a tremor of fear in his words. We need your expertise, Sheriff. We need you out here in the National Forest. I knew that this was no ordinary case. With a heavy sigh, I put down my coffee and stared out the window at the blazing sun. I was a police officer, born and raised in the vast expanses of Texas, but nothing could have prepared me for what lay ahead. I agreed to head out to the National Park, where the unforgiving terrain held secrets I couldn't even begin to fathom. When I arrived at the National Park, I was met with a somber group of officers, their expressions a mix of anxiety and determination. We were issued stun guns, a peculiar choice for a law enforcement operation. The Forest Service Administration had given us a clear mandate capture, not kill. There was something out there, something that might be a new species of cryptid, and they wanted to be the first to have one detained. The gravity of the situation settled over us as we ventured into the dense forest, our footsteps muffled by the layers of leaves and underbrush. With every step, the feeling of being watched intensified, and the shadows seemed to stretch and twist in unnatural ways. I exchanged glances with the other officers, a silent understanding passing between us. We were venturing into the unknown, and none of us knew what awaited us. Hours turned into a day that felt endless, the tension mounting as the forest seemed to close in around us. And then, as the sun dipped below the horizon and the world was bathed in the eerie glow of twilight, we found ourselves standing before a clearing. In the center stood a figure, one that was both familiar and utterly alien. The creature was massive, its form stretched upward on two hind legs. Its arms were impossibly long, reaching the ground like a gorilla, but its spine was crooked, contorting its entire frame. Moonlight danced on its gray skin, and its eyes shone like twin orbs of light in the darkness. Its face was grotesque, a deformed mask that held no semblance of humanity. The officers around me raised their stun guns, and the air was filled with a crackling of electricity as we fired in unison. But the creature moved with unnatural speed, a blur of motion as it tackled officers to the ground. Panic surged through me as I fired my stun gun, the darts embedding in the creature's flesh. And then, almost miraculously, the creature fell to the ground, stunned by the sheer number of darts. We approached it cautiously, our breaths heavy in the still night air. Just as we began to bind its limbs, the forest erupted with movement, and a group of figures emerged from the shadows. They wore black, their faces obscured by masks, and their presence sent a chill down my spine. CIA operatives, no doubt about it. Step away, one of them commanded, their tone cold and commanding. This is a matter of national security. As we moved back, they pulled out a black cadaver bag, 
a chilling indication of their intentions. They ordered us to leave to be silent, their threats laced with an air of finality. The weight of their words hung in the air as we retreated, the forest swallowing us whole once more. I couldn't shake the feeling that we had stumbled onto something beyond our understanding, something that was meant to remain hidden. As I drove away from the national park, I couldn't help but glance back, my mind swirling with questions and a sense of unease that would linger long after this encounter. My grandma told me this story about chanks. Her mom, my great-grandmother, and her brother used to go to the river to do the laundry. She used to leave the boy on a hammock while she was busy. One day, the boy began to walk into the sugarcane plantations that were next to the river. When his mom realized and dragged him out, he was saying that some kids were offering him papaya. She told him that they were alone there and there was no one else nearby. She put him on the hammock and continued doing the laundry, but the boy kept going into the cane plantation. This situation repeated many times, but the last time she realized the boy wasn't there, she ran into the plantation and found him. She scolded him, and he was swearing again that some kids were offering him papaya. When she looked up, she could see the canes moving like if three people running between them. She got scared and the left suddenly. Days after talking with other people, they told her that those kids could have been chanks that were trying to steal her kid. So she never brought him back to the river some days. When she was there alone, someone would throw her pebbles while she was distracted. I was sleeping in my studio and suddenly darted awake, fully alert, almost instinctual. A deep sense of dread and anxiety came over me as soon as I awoke and a feeling of a presence was in my kitchen 20 feet away. It was a completely new and isolated experience. This has never happened to me. I mean, I shot up awake and felt deep dread like a draining presence. It was like a totally different sense was activated, honestly chilling. It wasn't from a nightmare. I didn't see or hear anything. I don't have depression or anxiety, nothing that would rationalize this experience. So anyways, I'm looking at the kitchen and sensing something and feeling a level of dread and anxiety I have never ever felt in my life. So I call my dog on the bed and hug him and try to block it out. I ask him to please protect me, be my guardian, and I buried my head into him just wanting this to pass. Nothing has happened since. Until, several months later, my best friend dog sits for me, lives in my studio for a week. Fast forward another couple months, and she hears my original story for the first time. She tells me while she dog sat, she had that same experience. A sudden wake up on high alert and scared, anxious and feeling something in the kitchen. I thought that was really trippy and profound and confirms I wasn't crazy. What was it? What did it want? Did it wake me or did my own senses protect me? Did something else protect me? It's so interesting. And I wonder if any other have had stories similar to this. By the way, my dog was chillin', thank God. I would have been even more freaked out if he sensed the presence. From my early childhood through my late teens, I lived with a trio of shadowy figures that trailed me like spectral companions. Three ethereal entities, each with its own distinct form and presence, and each tied to a specific location or time of day. 
The first was a woman shrouded in a cape. She was the night visitor, materializing only when I was asleep. She would stand at the foot of my bed, silent and still. Her presence was unnerving, but she never did anything more than stand there, watching me from the shadows. The sight of her was a nocturnal constant, a ghostly figure looming in the darkness of my room. The second was a childlike figure that haunted our backyard, always hiding behind the starfruit tree. This one only appeared while I was cooking in our kitchen late at night. I would glance out the window and see it there, standing still and staring at me. It was a creepy sight, a small figure illuminated by the faint moonlight, always watching, never moving. The last one was the most bizarre a man without a torso, who seemed to hover around as if gravity didn't apply to him. He wasn't bound by the rules of the other two. He would follow me in broad daylight, appearing suddenly in the most unexpected places. He was a constant reminder of this spectral trio's presence, a haunting figure that seemed to linger in my peripheral vision, no matter where I was or what time of day it was. These three figures were my constant companions for many years, a trinity of shadows that seemed inextricably tied to my existence. Their presence was unsettling, yet over the years I came to accept them as a part of my life. Their motives, their origins, their true nature all remain a mystery to me. But they were a part of my world, a spectral triad that shadowed my every step from childhood to adulthood.